Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. When a missing waitress turns up dead on the outskirts of Marion, North Carolina. The remains were completely skeletonized. There was really no flesh. A grieving family is left desperate for answers. You just go all to pieces. We couldn't figure out who would want to kill her and why. Police dig through the victim's past and turn up a slew of suspects. She had had some trouble with some people. I don't know that we were ever able to eliminate really anybody. Until they're served up a sizzling lead on a platter. To try to reach out and see if we can find these people. The race is on to hunt down a killer and expose his deadly secret. Like I say, he's not meant to get away with it. How well do you know your neighbors? What lies behind the white picket fences? Folks in Marion, North Carolina, like to say this is where Main Street meets the mountains. Nestled in the northwest corner of the Tar Heel State, Marion is surrounded by snow-capped peaks, scenic lakes, and blue skies. There are hiking and biking trails. There's boating on the lake, camping, a lot of outdoorsy things. Strolling along the peaceful downtown streets is a favorite pastime, with pit stops for barbecue and sweet tea. Retirees and tourists mingle with a down-home crowd, locals who man the farms and what's left of the factory jobs. It's a small hometown place with a big heart. People here help their own. One of those hardworking locals is 24-year-old Zilphia Lowry, the youngest in a family of eight siblings. Older sister, Reba Hurst, looks out for younger sis, Zilphia, when her busy schedule allows. When she was born, it was kind of like she was my own little personal baby doll, and she loved it. She loved being the baby. As an adult, Blonde hair, blue-eyed Zilphia is a people person who runs on high octane day and night. She's a favorite among customers at the local truck stop. 
where she works overtime waiting tables and entertaining the clientele. She'd joke with them and, and talk to them, and I think that a lot of people went into the truck stop just to get her energy, because she made everybody feel good. When Zilfia isn't bussing tables, she spends time in a small house a few miles away. Her roommate, 71-year-old Nora Harris, is like a second mother to her. They were just company to each other, mostly, because they got along so good. Nora, she would worry about Zelfia if something was wrong with her. But playing aunt to her many nieces and nephews is Zilfia's greatest joy. Every child loved Zelfia because she could get to their level. She liked playing with them. My children all loved her. Zilfia hopes to start a family of her own one day. But this is one dream that won't come true for this bubbly waitress. When in the summer of 1993, Zilfia tops off her very last cup of coffee. With so many family members to keep up with, it's not unusual for Reba to go several days without hearing from her baby sister. But come August, when Reba learns that Zilfia's housemate Nora hasn't heard from her in over a week, she begins to worry. Sometimes she'd take off for a few days. After about a week, though, I knew that something was wrong because she wouldn't stay gone any longer than a week. And road trips or not, Zilfia always checks in with her elderly roomie. She would contact Nora because Nora, she would not want her to worry about her. And with that, Reba's big sisterly instincts kick in. That's when... I started calling other family members to find out if they had seen or heard from her. We knew something's not right. After countless calls about town, Reba finally pinpoints when Zilfia may have gone missing. Down at the diner, Zilfia's boss tells Reba she's been a no-show for around two weeks. She believes Zilfia last worked a double shift on Tuesday, July 27th. I went to the truck stop myself and questioned some of the people that she worked with. And I questioned anybody that I could. No one seems to know what happened to Zilfia after she clocked out of work that afternoon. It's as if she vanished into thin air. Looks like it's time to let the men in blue know Zilfia Lowry is missing. Sheriff Dudley Green is a familiar face in these parts. He's been wearing a police uniform since the early 80s, and he knows a thing or two about civil service. You know, it's something that you get into because you want to help your community and feel like that you're making a difference. No matter what case he's assigned to, Green tries to do just that. And it looks like the Lowry situation is going to be as challenging as finding a squeaky clean truck stop bathroom. While Zilfia's family is convinced foul play is behind her disappearance, officers down at the McDowell County Sheriff's Office aren't so sure. By far, more people who are reported missing turn up uh, okay, but you never know at the outset of it whether this is someone who may have run across foul play or just somewhere because that's where they want to be. But Big Sister Reba won't be put off. It was very frustrating to try to get them to understand she's not gone off. She would have contacted somebody. You can feel when something's not right. And I was feeling something wasn't right. There were a number of 
follow-ups made in an effort to try to find her, and over a period of time, that became more intense. After several searches for Zilfia come up empty, police are left wondering if something more sinister is going on. As time went on, there was a greater concern that maybe foul play has transpired here. But who would harm a pretty hash slinger with a heart of gold? Sister Reba thinks she knows of someone who might have wanted Zilfia out of the picture. She's convinced Zilfia's disappearance has something to do with a dark family secret. It's a little tale that features the black sheep of the family, Eddie Pittman. Everybody in my family knows that Eddie Pittman can be an evil person. We just know how he is. So evil, most everyone in Reba's family believes Eddie is to blame for his own son Jeremiah's disappearance. Everyone, including Zilfia, thought Eddie was lying when Jeremiah vanished a year ago. His daddy, Eddie Pittman, claimed that he had left town with a friend of his. We never believed the story. Shortly after Jeremiah disappeared, cops found his truck abandoned off a nearby highway ramp. Since there was no sign of foul play, Jeremiah's listed as missing. My nephew was last seen going home with his daddy, and then he was never seen again. And now Reba fears Eddie is behind Zilfia's disappearance, too. After all, everybody in town knew exactly how Zilfia felt about him. Zilfia felt that Eddie Pittman had killed my nephew. And she even confronted him and told him that she thought that he had killed him. Did Eddie finally get fed up and put an end to Zilfia's accusations? And when Zilfia become missing, it was like a red light went on in our head. Here are two people's missing, nobody's seen them, nobody knows nothing about them. While Zilfia's family has their suspicions, investigators have no proof Eddie is behind either disappearance. Well, it's certainly something that we looked at early on if there's a, a possibility that the two cases are related in some way. Now it's time for investigators to pull back the curtain and expose the truth behind this mystery. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Burroughs Furniture is built for the way you live. 
From ensuring easy assembly and disassembly to honoring highly requested new colors for their award-winning seating, they always have their customers in mind. Their modular seating is made out of durable materials to last and grow with you. And with Burrow, you always get fast, free shipping. Get up to 60% off during Burrow's Memorial Day sale at burrow.com slash ACAST. That's burrow.com slash ACAST. Burrow.com slash ACAST. Hey, it's Janice from Warner Brothers Discovery. Have you ever heard the expression, perfect is the enemy of good? I think about that a lot, especially when it comes to my body and health, because perfect does not exist. It's a total trap. Noom isn't into this perfection thing either. Its unique approach is tailored to each person's psychology and biology. From coaching to recipes, Noom's app provides personalized information to help you on your journey, no one else's journey. I also think it's great that Noom doesn't restrict what you can eat, and it doesn't shame you for treating yourself. And treat yourself, you should. What's more, Noom's approach is grounded in science. They've even published more than 30 peer-reviewed scientific articles about how they work. To date, Noom has helped more than 5.2 million people lose weight by helping them build new habits for a healthier lifestyle. So why not give it a try? Stay focused on what's important to you with Noom's psychology and biology-based approach. Sign up for your trial today at Noom.com. That's N-O-O-M.com. And check out Noom's first-ever cookbook, The Noom Kitchen, for 100 healthy and delicious recipes to promote better living. Available to buy now wherever books are sold. Residents in Marion, North Carolina, are as close-knit as they come. So it's no wonder waitress Zilfia Lowry's been the hot topic down at the truck stop diner since she up and went missing a month ago. And all this time, Zilfia's sister Reba has been hopping mad. You can feel when something's not right. It was frustrating not getting the answers. She's convinced she knows who's behind Zilfia's disappearance and her nephew Jeremiah's, none other than Eddie Pittman, Jeremiah's dad. I felt like that my nephew's daddy had done something to Zelfia because she had confronted him about killing my nephew. I figure that he's probably eliminated her because of her being so suspicious of him. It's a solid theory for sure, so detectives sit good old Eddie down for a friendly chat. And friendly is just what Eddie appears to be. We came away with the sense from Eddie of a loving father who had had some problems with his son and was very concerned about where he was, but really had not heard from him. But investigators aren't exactly buying Eddie's Father of the Year Act. They doubt his son would have just taken off like Eddie claims. Eddie thought that Jeremiah might have gotten in a truck and went somewhere. Eddie insists he has no beef with his son or Zilfia. We did talk to uh, Ed. He claimed not to have known what had transpired uh, with Zilfia. Despite their suspicions about Eddie, without a body, detectives don't even know if a crime has occurred in either case. So for now, Eddie's name is moved to the back burner. Luckily, police are able to add another name to their investigation dance card. Zilfia's longtime on-again, off-again boyfriend, Todd Stockley. They loved each other. They just had issues that they had to deal with sometimes. According to Reba, Zilfia was starting to tire of the roller coaster relationship. 
That's why two months before her disappearance, Zilthia put some distance between her and Todd and headed out of town with his car for a job interview. Zilthia told Todd she'd be back the next day, but never showed up. When Todd realized she may have hit the road for good, he hit the roof and pressed charges against her for taking his car. I think he was afraid that she was maybe with some other man, and that was the reason that he filed the charges against her. Zilthia promptly returns the car once she returns to town. She said that Todd had agreed that he was going to drop the charges, and she wasn't concerned at all with it. So with Zilthia thinking she's in the clear with the law, investigators see no reason for her to skip town on her own. Which makes them wonder if Todd changed his mind and decided to get justice on his own. There was some concern that an emotional confrontation had maybe taken place that led to her demise. Rumor has it that Todd's been putting on quite a show since her disappearance and is sure acting like Zilthia's never coming back. That caused some concern. Does he know more about what transpired with her than meets the eye here? But with just a minor rap sheet for breaking and entering, investigators aren't confident Todd's their guy. Maybe he's simply missing his longtime sweetheart. Detectives bring Todd in for a chat, and he's as helpful as can be. He swears he didn't do anything to Zilphia. Since investigators aren't exactly sure where Zilphia went after she left the truck stop that night, they just might have to take his word for it. That was kind of fuzzy, you know, to determine when she was last seen. So anybody who was associated with a case, it was difficult to determine a for sure alibi for within a, a given period of time. Hopefully detectives will have better luck with the next suspect on their list. A careful review of Zilphia's diary produces a surprising name from her past. Another former beau named Marcus Longwell. Apparently, Zilphia had been in recent months in contact with her ex. Even though Zilphia and her ex, Marcus, called it quits years earlier, it seems the two were quite chummy right before she went missing. Zilphia's diary discussed that Marcus and she had been seeing each other. Problem was, Marcus was already involved with another woman. Sure seems like this Casanova enjoys playing the field. So could he have been with Zilphia the night she disappeared? He was certainly a, a prime person of interest. It leads you to question what he might be able to tell you about her last days. Maybe Zilphia was tired of playing second fiddle and wanted more than Marcus was willing to give. Police promptly bring him down to the station, where he flat out denies a rekindled romance. You start approaching him and he's stonewalling you, saying, I don't know what you're talking about. That starts bringing about suspicion. So detectives up their game and hook Marcus up to a lie detector test. He failed to polygraph miserably. I don't know if he even got his name right on the test. He was in total denial about having any contact with her. Sure looks like Marcus is hiding something, but what and why? Did this lover boy finally have enough of his little lady on the side? If he was lying about something this simple, what's to stop him from lying about the more important question about what happened to her? After all, Zilphia sure does go on and on about her former flame in the pages of her diary. I think that Zilphia 
really felt like there was a possibility of being able to get back with Marcus and continue their relationship. Despite their concerns about Marcus, detectives have nothing concrete to tie him to Zilfia's disappearance. Looks like they're having a hard time connecting anyone to the case. As the clock keeps ticking, hopes of finding Zilfia alive begin to dwindle. August progresses into September, October, and none of the families heard from her nor knows anything about her whereabouts. Just when it looks like investigators are never going to get a break, they do. They're about to get an answer to the question everyone wants to know. Where is Zilfia Lowry? The town of Marion is usually a happy little place. But six months after Zilfia Lowry went missing, the mood on Main Street is as dark as a Carolina storm. And not knowing what happened has everyone rattled. It really takes a toll on a community. I know the family experienced a lot of anxiety. It was very, very trying time. Even journalist Rochelle Bailey has a touch of the nerves. The Lowry case is one of her first assignments as the McDowell News crime reporter. I actually applied to be a sports writer, and this was the only opening they had, so I took it. It was scary and very intimidating because I didn't know much about crime. This cub reporter is about to learn how one phone call can break a case wide open. On February 5th, 1994, the sheriff's department goes on high alert when an urgent call comes in. Two hikers have stumbled across a gruesome scene in the woods surrounding Lake James. They were apparently the remains of a, a female. One of the first questions that comes up, could these be Sylvia Lowry's remains? With only a skeleton crew, the sheriff's department is going to need some reinforcements down at the crime scene. So they place a call to the higher-ups at the North Carolina State Bureau of Investigation, or SBI. Good thing Special Agent Andy Klein is always ready to lend an extra hand. We get involved in any, any number of crimes from embezzlements uh, to sexual abuse, rape, those kind of things. But more often than not, smaller agencies seek him out to solve homicides, especially tricky ones. When Klein arrives on the scene, he knows he has his work cut out for him. What's left of the body is some 70 feet off a rural logging road. The remains were completely uh, skeletonized. There was really no flesh. I do remember some vegetation growing up actually through the body. Investigators believe it just might be long-lost Zilfia Lowry. But identifying her won't be easy. The skeleton's not exactly in one piece. You would expect to see the skull intact, but once we started moving leaves and debris off, we started finding pieces of the skull, which led us to believe that this person had suffered some type of trauma to the head. Sure looks like he's got an official murder on his hands. But Klein doubts the killing took place here. It looks more like a dump and run. But figuring out who did the dirty deed will be a challenge. Yeah, there was nothing that we recovered from the crime scene to link her to any potential suspect. Thankfully, investigators find this victim before all is lost. When the coroner examines the remains, he confirms what investigators suspected. 
the victim died after being struck in the head with some kind of blunt object. There was evidence of some pretty traumatic injury. Her skull had, for the most part, pretty well been crushed. Zilfia's family receives a crushing blow as well when dental records verify their worst fears. I knew it. I knew it was her. I could feel it. As bad as I didn't want it to be her, I knew you just go all to pieces. You just, you cry and cry. With no evidence to tie any of their suspects to the crime scene, investigators are going to need to come up with a new game plan. It's important once in a while just to step back. When you can do that, I think you can come back to it with a little better perspective. And nothing sharpens Sheriff Dudley Green's focus more than some time out on the links. Once in a while, I get out and try to hit a golf ball and just try not to think about anything but hitting that golf ball. It lets you refocus on some things that, that'll help you in your work. So Green keeps his eye on the ball and hopes for the best. Occasionally, you hit a good shot, and that makes you feel pretty good. But it's going to be a while before Green feels good about the Lowry case. Then in February of 1996, two years to the day Zilthia's body was found, Green receives a most unexpected visitor, Rosemary Gehring, Ed Pittman's longtime girlfriend. Zilthia's family always thought Ed might have something to do with her death and nephew Jeremiah's disappearance. She said, I think Ed Pittman's going to try to kill me. And I asked, why do you think he would want to kill you? She responded, because of what I could tell you about his son. It's enough to stop Green in his tracks. I looked at her and I said, are you telling me that you think he had something to do with Jeremiah's disappearance? And she said, well, I know he did. I saw it. Sounds like Rosemary fibbed to Sheriff Green when he first asked if she knew anything about Jeremiah's disappearance three years before. I'll never forget the first comment that she made to me. I said that, you know, we're trying to figure out what may have happened to Jeremiah, and her comment was, well, I don't know and I don't care. Now scared stiff, Rosemary readily admits that her hothead boyfriend Ed killed his son during a silly argument at their house. Ed had chased Jeremiah and beat him down and had a hammer in his hand and requested Rosemary to, quote, finish him off which she declined to do. She tells them after Ed killed Jeremiah at their home, she helped him bury the body. Rosemary directs Green and his men to a deep grave in the middle of Ed's mining property. They had dug down, I'm guessing six or seven feet, and she walked over to the hole and she said, you're not deep enough. And she said, it's deeper. 10 feet down. Investigators finally find what's left of Jeremiah. Those remains as well were like Zephyrs. They were pretty well skeletonized. Investigators remove Jeremiah's remains, and Rosemary is brought back to the county lockup. While police set out to look for Eddie, news of the gruesome discovery makes its way back to Reba Hurst. I felt that Eddie and Rosemary both had killed my nephew and my sister. It was just too much that was alike. Sure seems like Zilphia and her nephew met their maker the same way. But did Zilphia really die at Ed's hands? Two members of the same family, the same county, the same year, die the same way. 
there again. In my mind, they were still very real potential suspects. Finding out won't be easy. When detectives get their hands on Eddie, he's as sly as a fox. Cops can't get him to admit he killed Jeremiah, let alone Zilphia. Eddie finally fesses up to burying Jeremiah, but claims Rosemary's the one who hit him with a hammer. It's a story that doesn't sit well with investigators. They doubt Rosemary's solely to blame. I talked with Rosemary about that very thing. She denied any knowledge or involvement in that. Detectives are convinced Eddie probably killed Jeremiah and suspect he took out Zilphia too. After all, Eddie knew Zilphia was on to him. Maybe he got rid of her because she knew too much. Someone out there who is capable of killing somebody, then there's someone else who disappears who's been confronting him about that very thing. There's just too much coincidence. But detectives are going to need more than coincidences to connect the dots between these two murders. Two and a half years after Zilphia Lowry's murder, prayer has never been more important in Marion, North Carolina. And now that word has spread that Zilphia's nephew Jeremiah turned up dead, folks are looking for some kind of explanation from above. Being in a small town, they don't take well to any kind of violation against a, a child, but especially if it's a murder of a child by a parent. Rochelle Bailey's readers can't understand how Jeremiah's own father, Eddie Pittman, and his girlfriend, Rosemary Gehring, could do such a thing. He was a mean person. And just from what I see, anybody that can kill their own child has some problems. But Sheriff Dudley Green can picture Eddie doing just that. According to Rosemary, Eddie beat his son with a hammer and then had her help bury his body. Prosecutors have already slapped Eddie with first-degree murder charges, and Rosemary faces charges of her own, accessory to murder. We're able to determine what had happened with Jeremiah and recover the remains for the family and, and give them some sense of closure. But there's still that tugging at you when Zilphia's case you still need to work on. Investigators are also determined to find out once and for all if Eddie also did away with Jeremiah's dead Aunt Zilphia. After all, Zilphia had never been shy about letting people know she thought Eddie was behind Jeremiah's disappearance. It goes back to more coincidence. Two members of the same family, the same county, the same year, die the same way. But when grilled further by investigators, Chatty Rosemary swears she has no idea what happened to Zilphia. And tight-lipped Eddie doesn't give up any information either. Despite their denials, investigators are mighty skeptical of these two. But Green has nothing concrete to tie either to Zilphia's murder. We weren't really able to eliminate them. They were right there on the alias of potential suspects. Sheriff Green has a puzzler of a case on his hands. If he's ever going to figure out who did away with Zilphia, he's going to need some more help. Good thing one of North Carolina's best and brightest is about to join his team. Lieutenant Dan Shook is a book smart fella who spent 20 years in the high tech world before he ever pinned on a police badge. When he had a chance to move back to his hometown of Marion a few years ago, he gladly traded in a corporate job for a shot at his boyhood dream. 
I wanted to go into law enforcement, I, I guess, ever since I was younger. So it was a double win for me coming back home and getting into law enforcement. Shook is a welcome addition. More than four years after Zilfia's murder, Green hopes the newcomer will land a new lead or two. And with no proof that Eddie Pittman was involved, and Zilfia's exes resting at the bottom of the suspect list, Shook heads back to square one. He's quickly learning nothing's ever easy when it comes to the Lowry homicide. Every lead, every suspect that we had early on ran to a dead end. We could never get to where we felt we needed to be with anyone. Just when investigators think their luck has run out, they get wind of some rumors spreading through the grapevine. It seems that people are talking about Zilfia partying with two mystery men on the night she was killed. There was a fellow named Robin and some boy named Bobby, and they may have had something to do with Zilfia's disappearance. But with the Zilfia Lowry rumor mill going full speed, investigators will have a tough time tracking down these Robin and Bobby fellows. When cops ask around town about these two mystery men, they're met with blank stares. Even Zilfia's own sister, Reba Hurst, has no idea who these guys are. Zelfia had never talked about either one of those guys, not to me. With not much to go on, police doubt there's much meat to the story. That information really wasn't looked at very hard because nobody knew who these people were. We couldn't find any connection to Robin or Bobby and any of the uh, information that we had already gathered. Detectives hope for a break in the Zilfia Lowry investigation. But it never comes. After another six years pass, the case grows colder than an autumn North Carolina mountain rain. No matter how long it takes, Detective Shook is still determined to bring Zilfia's killer to justice. And he knows that sometimes the key to solving a case is knowing when to set it aside. You get to a point where you have to put it down for a while, work on something else and come back to it with fresh eyes. When Shook wants to forget about office work, he heads to one of his favorite spots, the tool shed he built in his backyard, where he can indulge in another labor of love. I piddle a little bit with carpentry. When I first moved back here, the first thing I did was build a shop, put all my tools in. Before I joined the sheriff's office, I had my own little remodeling business and installed kitchens, things like that. For Shook, time spent working with his hands is time well spent. It's very important to have interests outside of work because in cases like the Lowry case, you've got to have something else to occupy your mind. Otherwise, you just go stir crazy and think about nothing but the case. A cold case can sure weigh heavily on a determined detective like Dan Shook. And just when investigators think they've reached a dead end, over a decade after Zilfia's remains were found, two familiar names pop up again on their radar. It seems that Phil Matheny, a current guest at the county lockup on assault charges, has been running his mouth about how a Robin and Bobby killed Zilfia Lowry. Wanting to get to the bottom of this story once and for all, detectives sit Phil down for a chat. And the second he starts talking, they can tell he's quite a character. I had 
concerns at the time that I was talking with him if he was completely sober or he was under the influence of something at that time. And the story he tells is as colorful as he is. He repeats the tale that Zilthia partied with the elusive Robin and Bobby on the night she disappeared, but goes on to say that sometime after Zilthia went missing, both men moved out of state, and nobody's seen hide nor hair of them since. He said that one of them had had moved to Virginia and one of them was now in Maryland, but gave no indication of exactly where we could find these individuals. Considering Phil's love of the bottle, investigators wonder if he's just an attention seeker, simply repeating something he overheard, or if this violent criminal is trying to cover his own tracks. We began to look back into Phil's background a little bit, and then thinking about it, is Phil coming to us with these names that nobody's familiar with? Is that trying to send us in another direction away from him? Could that be? It wouldn't be the first time a killer tried to throw police off the track by pointing the finger at someone else. And these detectives are about to learn why this cunning crook knows so much. More than 10 years after the mysterious murder of Zilthia Lowry, police have their eye on one unusual fellow, Phil Matheny, a man who's racked up a laundry list of crimes, including assault. Detectives are mighty suspicious of this career criminal who's trying to peg the murder on two mystery men, some guys named Robin and Bobby. These were names that no one in the family knew of her to associate with. Nobody was aware of who these people were. Police have a feeling Phil's really to blame and is just trying to throw them off. But when confronted, Phil doesn't back down from his story. He gave me information like that there was a couple of guys who had been here at the time that Sylvia had disappeared. He came with the name of Robin Whittier originally. He had the name Bobby, but I don't know that he had a last name associated with Bobby. Phil's so insistent, police begin to wonder if there might be something to his story after all. Since Phil's not going anywhere anytime soon, detectives decide once again to see if anyone's ever heard of Robin and Bobby. Lieutenant Dan Shook heads to the outskirts of town where Phil claims Robin Whittier lived where he and his friend Bobby supposedly took Zilthia the night she died. When we were hearing about Robin through Phil, there was talk of a party that had taken place. The time frame was right. After asking around about the trailer off Vernon Bradley Road, Shook is able to track down the owners. And the lady of the house tells him that long ago, she and her husband rented the trailer to a Robin whited. We came to find out that this Robin Whittier, the name Phil had given us, was actually a a guy by the name of Robin Whited. The landlady says she's pretty sure it was in 1993, the summer Zilphia went missing. It's enough to give any detective goosebumps. Phil got Robin's last name wrong, but if the rest of his story checks out, investigators might be on the heels of Zilphia's killer. The landlady indicated that Robin was probably in in an area around Richlands, Virginia. A few weeks later, Shook tracks Robin down at a car dealership in Virginia. Robin's taken aback when he spots detectives coming his way. 
but when they explain the reason for their unexpected visit, he's as polite as can be. Robin was a small frame individual, a good-looking young man, and very cooperative. Robin doesn't exactly look like killer material. Detectives are starting to wonder if this just might be a waste of a trip. But to their surprise, Robin not only admits to knowing Zilthia, but also partying with her and his childhood friend, Bobby Taylor, back in North Carolina. All he had to say was, I don't know what you're talking about. I don't know this girl. And that would have shut us down again. But Robin didn't. Now police know about him and his buddy, Bobby Taylor, a man with a history of crimes under his belt. When cops find out he's serving time in a Kentucky prison for weapons charges, they set their sights once again on Robin. Chances are, they're more likely to crack him than a repeat offender. So a week later, investigators pay Robin another visit. It's evident that he is very nervous. It's evident that he's holding back. We don't want to push too hard because you don't want to put too much pressure on him all at once because you're afraid he'll shut down and lawyer up on you. Sure enough, their persistence pays off when almost a year after investigators first meet him, Robin finally cracks. He tells police Bobby killed Zilphia when she rejected his advances. Zilpha refused, and they began to fight. Zelfa supposedly had fallen and hit her head on the bed nightstand. Bobby beating on her, she died. Robin insists that's exactly how it played out that night. While he claims that Bobby is to blame, Robin admits that he helped get rid of Zilphia's body. This good old boy is in a whole heap of trouble. But if his story is true, his pal Bobby Taylor is up a creek without a paddle. When police visit Bobby in prison, his story doesn't jive with Robin's. Yes, they partied. Uh, he went to bed with a hangover, got up next morning, she was gone. He didn't know what happened to her, didn't know where she went, assumed that Robin had taken her home and pretty much stuck to that story the whole time. Caught in a game of he said, he said, investigators know there's still one trump card up their sleeve they have yet to play. DNA testing. We felt that if we were ever able to produce anything, we needed some DNA to do some sort of comparison when that time came. Detectives pull Zilphia's remains from the ground. It was a very slow, solemn process with hand shovels, being very careful not to uh, destroy or disturb any more than we actually uh, had to. Back when Zilphia was murdered, DNA testing wasn't widely used in North Carolina, but times have changed. Investigators hope the lab can extract DNA from her bones. It was difficult to get good DNA with Zelfa's remains being buried for so long. But the coroner does just that. The medical examiner's office was successful in getting enough profile from her remains to get a positive ID. Armed with this new information, investigators head to Robin's old abandoned trailer to take a closer look at the bedroom where Zilphia supposedly died. They scour every nook and cranny, hoping some kind of evidence survived all these years. And it turns out something did. There are several dark spots on the ceiling. Detectives have a hunch it's blood. And they're right. When we got the lab results back and they were able to fairly conclusively say that, yes, this appears to be Zelfa Lowry's consistent with her DNA, that was a good day. 
it's enough to charge Robin and Bobby. And when investigators learn that Bobby's been bragging behind bars about killing Zilthia, they know their case is a lock. Thanks to several jailhouse confessions and Robin's testimony, in 2008, over 14 years after Zilthia's death, Bobby Taylor is convicted of first-degree murder and sentenced to life in prison. Robin receives three years as an accessory. Finally, being able to identify two people that didn't even live in this state as the people responsible for her death is extremely satisfying. To be able to solve this crime for the family. Zilthia's family is thrilled their long ordeal is finally over. The trial was really, really hard, but it was also answers to a lot of questions. We needed to see and to hear what really happened to her to give us closure. This is what police think happened the night of July 27, 1993. Shortly after her shift at the truck stop, Zilphia gets a call from Bobby Taylor inviting her to a party. Bobby made the contact. Uh, he and Robin went and picked her up. Robin bought some vodka. And uh, they began to party, playing loud music, dancing. When Robin and Zilphia get physical, Bobby decides he wants a piece of the action. When Zilphia spurns his advances, he flies into a jealous rage. Bobby hit Robin, knocked him down, pushed him out of the way. Bobby basically killed Zilphia there in the bedroom, bashed her head. And then Bobby threatened to kill Robin by saying, if you don't help me, you'll be laying there beside her. Bobby puts her in Robin's truck, and together they dump her body in the woods. They went back to Robin's residence that night and the next day, cleaned up the crime scene. It seems like the perfect crime, but thanks to the persistence of investigators, this duo doesn't get away with murder. The little restaurant that she worked at was just off the interstate. And every time I would pass that restaurant, I would just kind of whisper, uh, we're working on it. When we finally made the arrest, uh, passed the restaurant on the interstate, and I said, we got him, got him. With the mystery behind them, folks in Marion can finally breathe a sigh of relief. And no one's more relieved than Zilphia's big sis, who's determined to never forget Zilphia's sweet smile. I dream of her sometimes, and sometimes it seems so real and comforting. It's like it's a big dream, and that I'm going to wake up and it's going to be over with, and she's going to be sitting and talking to me. Zilphia may be gone, but her memory will always glow bright in Reba's heart and will forever be part of the fabric of this small town. <laughs>